My friend, Russ Dunham, died in a boating accident while he was fishing with some men from his church where he ministered in Flippin, Arkansas. I figure if you're going to die, you may as well die while you're fishing. That's pretty good. That was right up Russ's alley. I had lived on the same college dorm floor as Russ. And we graduated together. And when Russ was married, we lived across the street from Russ and his wife while we finished school. Uh, out of school, I recommended Russ to my brother Dan and his church in Indiana. So Russ became youth minister there. And after some years, we actually had him on staff with us at a church in Ohio. So uh, when Russ passed away, I made the trip to Flippin, Arkansas, Yellville County to be at Russ's funeral. Russ had a sense of humor about him. That's one of the things that most everybody would remember about Russ. In other words, it was, it was a, a sense of humor that paralleled my own, which means it was a good sense of humor. <laughs> he and I used to get into impromptu pun contests, just off the cuff. And one day I just, I, I fired off 10 different puns in an effort to just get ahead of him once. I, you know, I thought at least one would do it but no pun intended. You could, you could get a feel for Russ, even if you didn't know him, on the day of his funeral, because on the cover of the funeral bulletin, it said, your rod and your reel, they comfort me. <laughs> and apparently Russ had actually thought about the day of his funeral because he had spoken about it with his wife, Lisa, and at the graveside committal, I will never forget this, they passed out confetti bombs and noisemakers. And at the end of the service, with a countdown, Russ made it clear he wanted there to be joy about his life. We counted to three and we pulled off confetti bombs and blue noisemakers in honor of the life that God had given to him at the end of those services. That was something. That was so Russ. More than one graveside committal of people at Central Christian Church has ended with the releasing of balloons into the air as a, a sign of joy to God. You know, the last time I checked with Winnie the Pooh, um, balloons are a happy thing, except for giant spy balloons going over the country. <laughs> you remember Dwayne King of Deaf Missions? He passed away a few years ago. And, and Dwayne had done the majority of the planning for his own funeral service. He wanted it, remember, I remember hearing him say this in the video he made. I want it to be called, you can call it a funeral if you'll call it a fun or roll. <laughs> he helped make it that way. And when you saw, saw the things that Dwayne did, it was so Dwayne. And I know what you're thinking at this point. All right, what about your funeral, Sherm? Right? Well, I have written up some thoughts and some instructions seriously about my own funeral one day. Uh, my wife hasn't even read those yet, I, I hope. Anyway, <laughs> I will say this much about it. There will be ice cream. There will be ice cream. It occurred to me that you don't get to choose who's going to be at your funeral. Now, I thought it would be kind of premature to send out invitations to mine. I might send out save the date, that's kind of risky. <laughs> I will ask you just save the intention of being there. I hope that you'll be there. If you're listening this morning, I'm gonna say it to everyone in earshot, 
I'm inviting you to my funeral service. I hope that doesn't make you overly uncomfortable. But I hope that you can be there because I have hopes it's going to be a good event. You see, one day, no matter who you are, it will be your body in the casket. It will be your body in the urn. And it is time we talked about your funeral. That's a lot easier to do while you're still alive, by the way. I'm thinking that one of the distinguishing marks of being followers of Jesus is as followers of Christ, we are not afraid to think about and talk about the life beyond this one. Amen? In fact, we should be living our lives with that end in mind. Scripture has a lot to say about what's beyond this life. It tells us in Colossians 3, seek the things that are where? Above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. There was a lady in the time of Jesus who did that. In fact, she appears three times in Scripture, and all three times that she shows up, she is at the feet of Jesus. Mary. Her sister Martha and their brother Lazarus had befriended Jesus. They opened up their home to Jesus so that Jesus was able to stay there. In fact, the week that Jesus came to Jerusalem before his death, he was spending the nights there at their home in Bethany. It's less than a two-mile walk from Jerusalem. The story that we're looking at this morning is in John chapter 11. So I'd like you to get your Bibles out. We're going to be looking at different parts of this whole chapter, John chapter 11. And I want to begin reading this morning in verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. All right. I want to get a map up here real quick and just talk about where this is taking place. The red dot is showing the little town of Bethany just a couple miles, not quite two miles, to the east of Jerusalem. That's where Mary and Martha and Lazarus live. Jesus is over across the Jordan River in that gray area uh, to the right there of the map. It's about a day's journey away from where Lazarus is now ill. So I want you to go through this timeline with me really quick. Jesus is in Perea, about a day's journey away from Bethany. Do the timeline. Lazarus gets sick, and Mary and Martha send word to Jesus that Lazarus is seriously ill. That takes how long? About a day. It's about a day's journey away. So that's how many days? One day. So the messengers arrive at Perea. They find Jesus. Lazarus has been sick, pretty sick now for a day. Jesus waits how long? Two days. So now Lazarus has been sick for three days. 
seriously ill for three days. And then Jesus says, finally, let's go to Bethany. So they make the journey to Bethany. It takes a day. Lazarus has now been at least sick for four days, but when they arrive, they find he has died. In fact, he has died. Look at verse 17. He has been dead for approximately four days. In that culture, he would have been buried the very same day that he died. In other words, Lazarus died very shortly after word was sent to Jesus that he was sick. So Lazarus had been dead. Dead. Not almost dead. Not mostly dead. Dead. Four days. Down in verse 39, outside of the cave where they have buried him, this tomb where he is put behind a rock and sealed up. Jesus gives the order to remove the stone. Jesus says, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. King James Version says, Lord, by this time he stinketh. <laughs> Lazarus is very dead, and Martha is just keeping it real. The family is engaged in a week-long Jewish custom called Shiva. Shiva is from the Hebrew word for seven because for seven days, beginning with the burial of Lazarus, they would sit on the floor of their home and receive guests, visit from friends. So friends from Jerusalem, a couple miles away, have come to grieve and to console Mary and Martha. It's what Jewish people do after a funeral It's a kind of grief party, and it helps people to journey through the grief. Well, Jesus is not intimidated by death. He already knows he's going to raise Lazarus from death. So when you look at verse 35, John 11, verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible in English, Jesus wept. Let's do a memory verse this morning, shall we? Everybody, John 11, 35, say that. Jesus wept. You just knocked out a memory verse here during services today, all right? John eleven thirty five. 35. Jesus wept. Wasn't sad because he wasn't sad because he was losing his friend. He was moved by the grief that was moving in his friends. But Jesus did what he did at every funeral we have recorded where Jesus showed up. He raised the dead person to life. Talk about being the life of the party, right? Jesus is the one you'd want to have around at the Shiva, isn't he? So here's what I'd like to do this morning. I, I want to visit this Shiva with Jesus that John has recorded for us in John chapter 11, and I want to make some observations, and basically, I want to help you and I together see that when the time comes, you're going to want Jesus at your funeral, okay? Okay. Here's why. Number one, because Jesus knows what to do at a funeral. I've been to a lot of funerals, and I observe a lot of things at funerals. I notice this, that a lot of people look very out of place at funerals. Funerals are uncomfortable, aren't they? It's uncomfortable to be around people that are grieving. It just is. It's uncomfortable to know that you might accidentally say the wrong thing which you will. Done that. 
It's uncomfortable because even in our own country, there's a variety of cultures and protocols that play into a funeral, and you're not always sure what's going on at a funeral. So we don't like funerals in general. Jesus showed up within a certain cultural context. He is the son of God. He's about to ruin the whole funeral scene. But he also is a Jewish man who is at the house of his dear friends. And so the example of what Jesus does at a funeral, I think, gives us a good example of how you're supposed to be at a funeral. Jesus knows what to do at a funeral. Take a look at what he did. Chapter 11, verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Okay, they're in Shiva. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. What an amazing statement of belief for Martha. And here today, we run across in this series of messages another one of the I am statements that John records for us from Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Who says these kinds of things? Not a doctor. Jesus knows what to do at a funeral. He spoke words of hope. Jesus gave to Martha that day a glimpse of hope about her brother. She understood that one day Lazarus would rise to life. The Jews had a concept of the resurrection of the dead. They, they knew and they had learned over the centuries that some final day in the future when righteous people would be made alive, they would go to be with the Lord. That shows up in the book of Job. It shows up in the book of Daniel. It shows up in the teaching of the Pharisees during the first century while Jesus is there. And so Martha says, I know, I know that Lazarus is going to rise again at the resurrection. I know this. Folks, when we put on our walls and when we say at Central Christian Church, hope lives here, we are speaking about this very thing. When it comes down to it, do you realize that the only true hope that we have is heaven? It is ultimately the only answer to every struggle that we face in life. We pray for good health, and maybe the Lord answers yes to that, but guess what happens eventually? We die. We pray for peace, but Jesus said in this world, you will have tribulation. We seek relationships with other people. We try to have good relationships, but we find out about ourselves that that's hard because we are broken people, and they are all broken 
broken people. And we will remain, to a degree, broken people in this life. We work hard to build families that last, but they change. Members move away. We work and we, we accumulate treasure on earth, but it falls apart and it wears out and it ages, gets stolen. The only ultimate answer to everything about this world that is a problem is the hope that we have that one day God is going to make all things new and he's going to finish making us new. And that's going to be great, isn't it? That is our hope. That's why we say it, and that's why we'll keep saying it. Hope lives here. People who are beaten down by, by death need somebody this week to speak that to them. They need somebody to tell them, I know where you can find hope. Jesus spoke that hope in a funeral. Jesus also grieved. Apparently, that's the right thing to do at a funeral. Verse 32. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Really interesting word that gets used twice here to describe the internal turmoil that's going on inside of Jesus. It's a verb that describes the snorting of horses. It is a word that's usually used in the context of anger or harshness or sternness or groaning. Picture it. Here is Jesus immersed in this scene. All things were created by him and for him. He had made a perfect world where there was no sickness, no death, no separation, no tears, no loss, no visiting someone because they were hurting. And now all around him is this domino effect of sin. Death, pain, tears, confusion, doubt, Satan's handiwork standing around him that day. The very thing that Jesus had come to earth to undo. And Jesus showed that grief by a... Uh, uh, internal struggle that day at a funeral. He showed us it's right to grieve at a funeral. Here's something else Jesus did. He prayed. Verse, th verse 41. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus' prayer that day was simply to direct the thinking and the minds of the people around to God and to the fact that Jesus was who he claimed to be. You see, Jesus knows that people who are grieving at a funeral, they need that. They need to be directed to the Father. I've been at, I've been at funerals that tried to find hope everywhere else but with the Father. And they were swinging all over the place. Oh, he was such a swell guy. 
Oh, he worked so hard. Oh, he'll always be with us in our hearts. I'd rather have Jesus at the funeral. I'd rather have Jesus reminding us that in our toughest times and in our easiest times, we need the Father. Jesus raised the dead at the funeral too. Verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! <laughs> the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Now, Lazarus would have been wound up with linen strips, holding his arms and his legs tightly so that they couldn't bend. He also would have had a large wrapper, if you will, around his face. So imagine being raised from the dead, all tied up, and Lazarus coming out kind of like this. <laughs> Unable to see, boom, hits the wall. So Jesus looks at his now resurrected friend and says, unbind him, let him go. Boy, when it comes to death, we all need Jesus saying that about us. Unbind him, let him go. Jesus knows what to do at a funeral. And that's why we're going, you're going to want Jesus at your funeral. Here's another reason that you'll want Jesus at your funeral, and that's because you want real life forever. Amen? Don't you want real life forever? Last week, Brian, uh, when he was preaching about Jesus being the good shepherd, one of the things that he mentioned is that when Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full, you know, abundant life, that life in Jesus isn't just about living forever. It's about living life in Jesus right now. It's about life in fellowship with God now, and we need to bear that in mind. But here in John 11, at a funeral, Jesus is directing thoughts to eternal life. Lazarus was raised from death, but you know what? Somewhere after that, Lazarus died. Don't know when. If he didn't, he's very old. But the day that Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, he was pointing to a life beyond this world. Look at verse 26 again. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Have you ever wondered about that? How is that? I've known a lot of people who believed in Jesus who were alive, but they died. There's a better way to translate what Jesus said here. You could use the words, whoever lives and believes in me by no means dies forever. In other words, believing in Jesus while you are alive is the way to not die forever. Are you listening? Martha repeated a doctrine that day to Jesus, a tenant. There will be a resurrection one day. I know there will be a resurrection at the last day. But when Jesus spoke, he states it as a personally important fact, one that is so dependent upon his work of redeeming us that it is identified with Jesus so that he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus didn't say, I raped the dead or I do resurrections. 
Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. There's two things there, and we need them both. We need to be saved from death so that we can live forever. But we also need real life, don't we? Think back to the Garden of Eden. Think back to Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve have sinned. And then God proceeds to banish them from the Garden of Eden. Kicks them out. Guards the entrance and says they can't go back lest they should eat from what? The tree of life and live forever. Well, what's wrong with that? Doesn't God want us to live forever? Isn't that the plan all along? Yes. But not to live forever in the condition that we're in. We don't need just to be resurrected from death. We need to be rescued from what sin has done to our souls. We don't need just to be forgiven from our legal status as lawbreakers. We need to be cleansed of what sin does to our thinking. So when Jesus invites us to life in him, he invites us to live forever, but he also invites us to changed hearts, changed lives, the kind that are prepared to live forever in heaven. That's the only way we can be there. Revelation 21 verse 27 tells us that nothing impure will ever enter into heaven. So if you and I are going to be a part of heaven, we got to be purified. You're going to want Jesus at your funeral because he's your only hope to be pure. He is the resurrection and the life. Let me give you one more reason that you're going to want Jesus at your funeral. I'm going to wrap it up here. You're going to want him there because you want your loved one to have life. Mary and Martha that day were glad that Jesus was there because they wanted their brother whom they loved to live. And part of what must have troubled Jesus deeply was both Mary and Martha separately coming to Jesus and saying the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When they saw that his sickness was serious, what'd they do? They sent for Jesus. They asked for help. They appealed to his love for his friend. The one whom you love, did you notice that? The one whom you love is sick. They loved Lazarus. And they had concluded that what their brother needed was Jesus. And that's why they wanted Jesus there. In fact, they were convinced that Jesus was the only hope for their brother. That wasn't an insult to say to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That was a statement of faith. The insult would have been if they had not called Jesus. The insult would have been if they hadn't asked for his help. And so I'm wondering, concerning a person in your life whom you love, do you believe this? Maybe the person you love is your one person, that one person that you're praying for. You still praying for him? Are you still looking for open windows to share about Jesus with her? Is that one person any closer to knowing Jesus than before when you started praying for him, for her? 
looking for a place to plant a seed. You want that person to have life, don't you? You want that one person to live, don't you? Or is it just easier to convince yourself this person you love somehow is going to be okay without Jesus? The hell isn't real. Or that what Jesus said about him being the only way, well, that's surely an overstatement. We go to a lot of extremes, I think, to preserve the physical lives of the people that we care about. Maybe get your husband on a special diet and reverse diabetes. Maybe you change your vocation because of a sudden illness that disables your wife and you have worked out of your home and you have to do that now for the rest of your life because you're taking care of her. Maybe you spend your life savings on medicine that is necessary to keep someone alive. You already, if that's you, you already understand what it's like to be convinced that somebody needs you to care for their physical body and you'd go to extremes to take care of them. What about somebody's soul? You want your loved one to have life, don't you? So I wonder, to what extreme would you go to help that person find real life in Jesus Christ today? What conversation would you have? How would you adjust your schedule today, this week, this year, the rest of your life? What might you spend? The condition is serious. The time is short. And you're going to want Jesus there while there's still an opportunity. Tell them. Tell them. I want Jesus at my funeral. I want Jesus at my funeral because when I die and I'm standing before the throne of God, I need Jesus at my side. Paul said and. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, there's one God, there's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Jesus knows what I need. I need the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he proceeds to call a dead man out of a tomb. I need the one who later is crucified to death, but rises from the dead and leaves the tomb. Triumphant over death. You're going to want Jesus at your funeral, aren't you? You can have the promise that Jesus gave, the one that he interjected into that scene that day, the promise of life following this life and the promise of life in him now. It's a matter of responding to him. It's a matter of accepting this invitation that Jesus gives to life in him. And yeah, it's a little bit uncomfortable, isn't it, to talk about your funeral. I talked about mine. Let's talk about yours. You know, this morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus already, Jesus is inviting you to your own funeral. He's inviting you to put to death the old person and have a brand new person raised up in him. He's inviting you to, to lay all of that old life aside and start new. He says that if any person is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. New things have come. So let's talk about your funeral.
and your birth. Wouldn't it be great this morning to be born again? If you're not yet a follower of Christ, that's what you're being invited to. That's what baptism is all about, by the way. That's what stepping forward and acknowledging who Jesus is and, and repenting of that old life, that's what that's all about. So if you're ready to make that choice today, we want to encourage you to step forward, literally step forward, and begin today a new life in him. I'm going to ask you to stand up with me. We're going to pray this morning. We're going to have a couple of minutes uh, for you to think about this and to respond to this. And if that's a choice that you need to make today, we are ready to help you with that. If you need to learn more about it, we encourage you to find out. Talk to me. Talk to our elders. Talk to our staff. Uh, contact us online. Contact us at our office. Contact us in person. We don't know who that is this morning that is ready. Only if you let us know. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the one who is resurrection and the life. We thank you for the promise of life eternal. We thank you, Father, that you don't leave us in the condition that you find us. How we need you to change our hearts, to make us into those who are completely yours, to grow us up until one day you complete us you forever. Father, thank you. And thank you for this opportunity today, right now. Help us, please, to make choices that honor you. We pray in Jesus' name.